It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Welcome back to another episode of American Loser, guys. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place, live at a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming taking great care of us, as always. Kahuna, not behind the ones and twos. The boss himself, Ming Chen, in with us today. Very happy about that. The main man, Ming. Uh, thanks for making time for us here. Uh, Kahuna's got uh, he's got some family stuff going on today, so he couldn't make it down, which means puppets are involved. So, <laughs> That's right. But, <laughs> There's a puppet show elsewhere. No, we love that boy. So um, I'll tell you what, if you get on Patreon, we'll give you out his real name, and you can check him out over on Facebook. No, super talented guy, great uh, director, great musician. Uh, check out some of his work over on YouTube. I think he's thinking about bringing his podcast back, too, so we'll plug that next time we get him in studio here. But uh, with me, as always, my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. How are you? Oh, we're just doing great, Kev. We're just doing great. A beautiful fall day here in Eatontown, New Jersey. It is, man. It is. And uh, we were speaking of the fall, our guest for today, who deserves a writing credit for the show, uh, the uh, handsome and esteemed, one of my best friends on planet Earth, uh, Tristan Vedrero, was going to be with us today. But he had a choice. He could either come in and record the podcast with us, of which he did some really valuable did research. Did some research, absolutely. Yeah. Did his homework. And he's been a great guest in the past, too. And then had to submit his homework uh, online, I guess. He did. It's uh, Yeah, so he uh, he's sending in his papers uh, to let us know. Uh, we're giving you a full writing credit for this episode, Tristan. But Tristan had a choice. He could either come into the studio or go pumpkin picking with his wife and kids. And since he's not here... You guys can figure out that the pumpkins have won. Well, All right. I don't know if it was his choice or choices were made, but uh, <laughs> pumpkin picking wins. Let me run this up the chain, see what comes down. <laughs> right. so, but no, uh, we'll get Tristan back in here soon, maybe in a, a non-pumpkin picking uh, fashion. So I'm excited, though. We've got a great topic today. And uh, before we dive into that, I do want to also give a shout out to the people over on our Patreon. We are approaching that number for the uh, 56 original founding losers here. Uh, if you were on board with us and maybe didn't renew or something, you know, let me know. Uh, I can, we can win you back, all right? We've got a good show here. The bonus exclusive content episodes have been, I don't think we've mailed it in on any episodes no, we've ever we done. We certainly have not. But uh, we definitely raised the bar a little bit for Patreon. So what do we do? John Paul Jones and uh, you illuminated us on the Whiskey Rebellion. Whiskey Rebellion. Absolutely. <laughs> So hey, drinking and cool. fighting, what, <laughs> yeah. what more could you want? Well, drinking and fighting sums up both of those episodes, <laughs> Right, too. exactly. But uh, when you do jump onto Patreon, I found this out recently, you do get access to all of our back catalog. So I get it. If you want to just do, you know, pop in, throw us 10 bucks or something like that and just go through the back catalog and then, you know, unsubscribe, that's fine. Uh, but if just the five bucks a month that uh, you get, that keeps us afloat here. That uh, puts the money right into uh, Mike and Ming's pockets that lets us uh, still there pretend over. <laughs> Keeps everybody honest, keeps uh, the kahuna from uh, living out on the streets. And uh, one day we'll make enough money to pay for a tank of gas in your uh, Ford F-150, Dad. Well, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, we're going to dive right in here. We'll waste no more of your time, uh, but you guys know where to follow us and support us, and we appreciate all that you do. That being said, if you have ever played the game Hitman on any console or PC, you will already know about Agent 47. So, But if you haven't heard of Agent 355... Well, that's what we're here for today, baby. All right. Um, Lawrence Patrick, we've talked about something that this particular agent is involved in before. Uh, so I'm just going to set the zeitgeist here, and then we're going to do a brief recap. But you're going to get a lot of loose receptions here. If you want more detail on some of these things, you'll hear some of the names. And if you go through our back catalog, you can definitely uh, check out uh, for more in-depth analysis of some of these stories. Yeah, there's a lot of loser receptions here today. A few too many. And hysterically enough, uh, New Jersey connection. So yep. <laughs> sometimes we really have to shoehorn them in. This time, it pretty much landed on our laps. Yep. So 1775 is the time frame over here. A lot going on in the country here. All right. Uh, a year from now, things are about to get super intense in the United States. But it's 1775. The Second Continental Congress has named George Washington, who's going to become an important figure in American history, if you don't know that already. He is now the head of the Continental Army. And one of his first moves, as we've covered on other episodes, is to get a fellow by the name of uh, Thomas Knowlton, 
to form a spy unit. You want to just give a brief synopsis of uh, what Knowlton was all about? Well, Knowlton was uh, an elite. They came to be known as an elite force um, for reconnaissance and for espionage. Um, and, you know, you, to know what's going on with the, in the enemy's camp is, you know, very valuable information. Uh, some of the successes that the uh, Americans have already had it was in a large part due to uh, knowing what was going to happen before uh, it happened. Uh, example is uh, we've already gone through it. By this point, we've already gone through a little fracas known as Lexington and Concord, which some would credit to be the first shots fired to the start the American Revolution. A fracas. That's exactly how the people who died there wanted to be remembered. <laughs> right, right. A little, <laughs> little misunderstanding. But uh, yeah, I mean, in that whole thing of Paul Revere's ride and mourning the, the Minutemen and, uh, you know, one of by land and two of by sea, well, uh, that was due to some uh, espionage or some spy work in the middle of Boston, because that's where the British troops were, were quartered. And now they're going out into the countryside to gather up um, valuable military munitions. So, I mean, if they didn't know that the British were coming, um, Paul Revere never would have had his ride. And, uh, you know, <laughs> could have been a whole different uh, whole different thing uh, going on with uh, the whole Lexington and Concord. And could have imitated Ireland and just tried again in 30 years. Yeah. yeah. So now now <laughs> now uh, the British are are primarily stationed in um, Boston proper. And they realize that they got to start taking some of the surrounding countryside to better uh, position themselves within Boston. So um, word now through a spy network, they figure out that the British are now going to attempt to take uh, Breeds Hill and, and Bunker Hill. And the Americans uh, virtually, uh, you know, overnight build fortifications on the top of Breeds Hill and the uh, British um, suffer some pretty drastic uh, casualties. I think there was over a thousand uh, um, dead and wounded. Uh, they did actually take Bunker Hill or Breed's Hill. But at what uh, cost? Yeah, at what cost? I mean, it, that was that was certainly a game changer in their mind. That they thinking that well, the British Army is just going to go over there and mop up a bunch of farmers with pitchforks and. Uh, and, and scatter their forces. Well, that, that really wasn't happening. And then, you know, they had this whole siege of Boston. Um, and, you know, the, it's primarily militia forces that are sent up there to surround Boston and drive the British out. Um, I found out through a little research here, too, that uh, March 17th in Boston is really not just St. Patrick's Day <laughs> for the big celebration, but that was actually the day that uh, they, uh, the British left Boston to sail off to Nova Scotia. Um, so, hooray, hooray, with a big, big American victory, we drove the British out of Boston. But, um, you know, George Washington knew that you know, they're coming back, but where are they coming back? More likely, um, they're going to come back to, to New York City. Well, um, I had read, too, that Washington was great. He was big on picking up intel, even going back to the French and Indian War, when he was technically still a British officer. So he was figuring out the, from deserting French soldiers and the Native Americans, what were going to be some of that? What's the territory over here? So uh, gathering intel can be everything. That could be troop movements. That could be, hey, there's a hill over here that people don't know about. Here's a hidden pathway over there. Right. So you can get intel is going to be super important. Washington puts high value on that already. Sure. So Knowlton and his rangers, um, am I jumping ahead on you here? No, no, no. Go, go okay. for me. So Knowlton and his rangers get formed right away and a uh, pretty badass unit here. But they, uh, they're going to do kind of um, – Early rangering, if you will, which uh, our buddy James Mack pointed out that there's uh, there, there's some conflicting history with uh, the rangers and some of the, the things in the handbook. But that's for a later episode. Right, right, right. So, But Knowlton's rangers, uh, some are credited as being the first elite uh, ranger force, uh, you know, not special forces, but that, that kind of a thing. And there's a guy within... <laughs> within Knowlton's Rangers that we have a loose reception with right away that uh, through the urgings of uh, um, another military guy, um, uh, Benjamin Talmadge, uh, he urges his, one of his college buddies, uh, Nathan Hale, to uh, you know get involved with this, that uh, up until this point, uh, Nathan Hale 
uh, took a job as a school teacher and uh, with the whole Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill and the siege of Boston and everything else, he was really kind of standing by the on the outskirts. He was certainly a patriot, um, but he, then he finally gets involved with Knowlton's Rangers and uh, through urging by this guy Talmadge. Um, Who's important for the story today, too. Right. Uh, he, he'll, he'll take uh, center stage in a, in a couple of years here. But uh, um, Nathan Hale is one of the Knowlton's Rangers who actually volunteers because at this point, we need to know where the hell are the British going to be striking next? I mean, all right, we got them to leave Boston. Hooray for us. But they're coming back, and more than likely, they're coming back into uh, the New York area because New York was such a strategically important place um, at the bottom end of the Hudson River. Um, you know, George Washington realized early on that you know New York is pretty key, and the Hudson River is even more so. Um, and the whole West Point and further up, all the way up to uh, um, the Great Lakes, that uh, that's an important, important waterway. Waterways were the, you know, the highways, if you will. If you so the, the big that. three cities, too, around this time frame is going to be Boston, right, which right. has a harbor, right. New York, which has a harbor, and Philly, which technically has a harbor. Right. So And, and then keep going further south, I mean, Charleston. So the Charles British— Charlestown back Ch- Charlestown, yeah. right. Um, the— uh, the British are big on naval power, no doubt. Best in the uh, world. So they're going to be able to control anything on the water. Um, it's further inland where they run into some problems. But uh, New York um, is more than likely the next place that the British are going to make uh, their presence felt. So um, Nathan Hale is sent into New York untrained um, to try to figure out or find out either from the locals or from some other, other uh, you know, loyalists or whatever. He's, he's doing espionage work, but he's not very good at it, nor was he trained very, very well. But, no, uh, he's almost like the Bond when uh, Bond always has to make some quip playing poker against the villain to let him know, oh, shit, you are a secret agent, aren't you? <laughs> you couldn't help. Name's Hale, Nathan Hale. I'm, I'm here doing espionage. I'm sorry, real estate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, you know, Nathan Hale is a great example of one of the earliest uh, forays into spy work, um, but uh, it doesn't go well for old Nathan. But we, we covered that in much greater detail in a previous episode. Yeah, check episode, out the Nathan Hale episode if you want to find out about the, the state hero of Connecticut. Yeah, but it didn't go well. So, I mean, actually, he gets his neck stretched. So I would say that's, a, that's not a good thing. No, sir. Um, now, just to give a, a to move on from Knowlton to Knowlton forms his Ranger Group. They're proving instrumental. They're paying dividends immediately. So that's already backing up Washington's idea of listen. The intel thing has to have, if we're going to outmatch a superior force with the British, we're going to have to have a couple of you know tricks up our sleeve. And unfortunately, Knowlton, as we also covered in the Nathan Hale episode, he bites a bullet over at the Battle of Harlem Heights or a, a intense skirmish, we'll call it. But if you're a regular listener, you already knew that. Right. So we're going to dive into uh, a little bit more detail on the Culper Ring today, which we've covered. You'll hear some familiar names, especially from year one on the uh, the old podcast. But uh, the Culper Ring would become Washington's personal spy network. They provided critical intel reports for Washington and his army, and they helped save the French fleet. This is some of the cool stuff here. Now, it's not always um, you'll hear it because we're going to jump around a little bit just for their accomplishments. But then we'll get back into the timeline. But uh, some accomplishments of the Culper Ring would include saving the entire French fleet that was finally arriving towards the end of the war to aid the uh, U.S. from a British ambush. They also uncovered a plot to cripple the American economy with counterfeit bills. That I thought was pretty interesting. So economic warfare. And, uh, oh, yeah, they exposed the infamous traitor of one Benedict Arnold. Oh, another loser reception. You know it, sir. (laughs) Old Benny Arnold, man, he comes into this one. It's uh, a mixture of being disgruntled, hating your job, and having a hot wife. It's just uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, that wasn't satisfied with her social standing or in, whatever. Indeed. And that, <laughs> well, the Culper Ring is pretty badass because they operated within British-held New York City. Because as you covered, Dad, the British—they're they're in Boston, but then they kind of step out of Boston. Uh, Philly's got a crazy thing going on around this time. Because Philly is both a, it's considered a Tory city. All the loyalists, kind of the, the big money families, like, again, the Shippens. We'll cover them in a second. But 
Uh, also, this is the scene of where a lot of the founding fathers are getting together and figuring out the framework right. of <laughs> this new nation we're going to build. So it really is Jets Giants over there. There's right. No <laughs> Absolutely. The whole um, any seaport city um, or town is really very much divided uh, loyalties because you'll have the loyalists or the, or the Tories and you would have a lot of the uh, some of the patriots, some of the uh, Americans that were fighting against the British. Um, but yeah, I mean, the British leave Boston, they go to Nova Scotia for a while, um, and then there's additional troops sent over from England along with some uh, uh, Hessian mercenaries. The Hessians were of uh, Germanic origin that were hired by the British because back home in, in Britain, I thought was interesting is that there's really not a large standing army in Britain. There's a lot of militias and a lot of local uh, regiments and stuff. But, uh, you know, the British way of thinking is uh, we don't really want to have a large standing army because that didn't go too well with some of the previous uh, kings <laughs> in Cromwell and a couple of other people that had uh, divided political opinions. You got to uh, learn from your mistakes. Right. Back then, if you had a two-party system, each party had their own army type of a thing. So it's uh, that didn't go too well. Um, and that kind of carried over to the colonies that each— uh, each colony uh, had their own militia. But anyhow, um, the British are vastly um, um, refitted and uh, additional men and materials are sent to the point where it was the largest British expeditionary force sent over to America. Um, and that held, that that was large numbers, uh, the biggest ever um, up until the, uh, the First World War. So you're talking like upwards of 40,000 40, guys and 100 and, uh, 400 various uh, British naval ships and stuff. So Now, the people that were already over here, the troops that were here, there was the Quartering Act where you had to provide a, a, a quarters in your house for a British soldier. Uh, you were being forced to do it. That was another one of the big things that even stirred the pot of uh, the Americans saying, well, what the fuck, dude? I don't want to be housing these guys. Now imagine that many more are coming over. But the uh, the key with the Culper Ring is a name that you already mentioned, Dad, and that is uh, good old Benjamin Talmadge. He's now in charge of military intelligence along with uh, his old-time buddy, Abraham Woodhull, right? So Yeah, both of those guys kind of grew up together. So uh, Another was, college uh, buddies. Yeah, thing. it was another, another uh, boyhood friend type of a thing. And uh, Talmadge, Benjamin Talmadge is, is now a major in the Continental Army, and he's uh, real tight with uh, old GW, um, George Washington. Do you picture that? Like they figured this out at a keg party? Dude, I'm telling you, espionage, man. <laughs> That's where it's all heading. That's right. He was great at headstands and <laughs> <laughs> keg stands. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Tom, and Tomage, uh, was- Ming just brought up a, a nice painting of him, too. Uh, uh, we'll call him a. A handsome gentleman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. He was a, he was a good, good-looking guy. Um, later on, became a, a congressman and stuff. But uh, early on, I mean, he was he was in the fight, uh, no doubt. He was involved with uh, the siege of Boston and a number of other uh, things. But Washington puts him in charge of uh, intelligence, um, and Washington had a, a direct contact with this. Culper ring, if you will, that uh, uh, it was pretty fascinating as to they, they've learned from their mistakes that you can't just send in one guy on a w one day or two day or maybe even a week long expedition under the pretenses of, the, you know, what, I'm here for whatever reason. And then try yeah, to I get in. Nathan Hale was writing his lunches off to the Continental <laughs> Army, too. That wasn't helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get in, to get in and get out kind of a thing that really wasn't cutting it for them. Um, that uh, Tomage uh, then devises this whole culper uh, ring that uh, these are people that are embedded within the British forces. Uh, you know the 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 British land in New York. They land in, on Staten Island. They take uh, they win the Battle of Long Island, uh, Brooklyn Heights. Uh, the, the Americans got their asses kicked. Um, but well, again, you pointed this out to me too, though that because of the intel that they had, it wasn't as bad of an ass whooping as it could have been. Yeah, they they did they did suffer that, but it also worked against them. Kind of a thing too is that once. Um, the British land on uh, Staten Island and then um, move themselves over to Long Island. A lot of the loyalists 
on Long Island are pointing out, well, you know what? There's no, there's no forces here. There's no forces there. If you guys do an end around, then you're not, you're going to be unopposed. And you know, so there, the British are also in, in gathering intelligence, uh, working against the Americans. So there's, you know, both sides are, are in the whole spy game. I mean, that's that's only. Uh, you know, only makes sense that um, both sides are going to try to find out what the other guy's doing. Well, we're, we're making light of a true American hero in Nathan Hale, but there's um, there's some pretty arrogant moves on uh, the British side, too, that uh, the Culpa Ring's going to expose now. I thought this was uh, worth mentioning, too. Talmadge, like we said, is in charge. His buddy, Abraham Woodhull, those are two big names. The Culpa Ring name supposedly came from Washington's suggestion about, like, a play on words, if you will, of... Uh, Culpeper County in his home state of Virginia, or Dante Culpeper of the Minnesota Vikings. No, either one. Either or. <laughs> but uh, the, George Washington was that far thinking into the, thinking. into the future. Right? Absolutely. He said, "NFC North, diehard NFC North fan." Probably. It's uh, <laughs> he's probably honored right now too because now he has his own football team. <laughs> oh, it's not the Redskins though. No, what are you saying right now, Larry Burke? <laughs> the Washington. Man, can you beat that out? <laughs> The Washington... The Washington football team. That's it's not it. the Senators. No, no, that was the baseball team. <laughs> oh, whatever. Well, uh, the Culper Ring is... Uh, they're shrouded in secrecy, but they're very highly effective here. The uh, the spies are often going under deep cover, as you said, uh, and they're providing intel on British unit movements and plans. And the spies all had some, some pretty interesting aliases. So, uh, Talmadge went by the name of John Bolton, which is hilarious because I believe that was... I want to say he was the head of the CIA or something like that. But John Bolton was, I think, a cabinet member uh, as well, maybe for the most recent presidency. I, I can't recall. But uh, Woodhull would then go by the name of Sam Culper Sr., as in Culper Ring. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, another very successful spy who comes in again at the very tail end of uh, this story is Robert Townsend, who went by Sam Culper Jr. Jr., uh, Jr. So you better hope that the, the two of them look a little bit alike. You know what I mean? Otherwise, right. they got to do this thing where they keep saying that they're adopted all the time, Dad. And we know how weird that uh, gets. Got very strange. <laughs> and uh, that brings us to today's topic themselves. OK, we set you up here about 21 minutes to set that one up. But you know what? Had to be done. Today's topic, the mysterious and elusive Agent 355. So... The Culper Ring, like we said, highly effective here. They're employing all sorts of things. I thought this was interesting. Their code name for Invisible Ink. Did you pick up on this? The code name for Invisible Ink? The code ink? name for Invisible Ink that they were using. Oh, I think yeah. It was... Uh, the Sympathetic Stain. That's right. Yeah, and this was this was, uh, this was really uh, cloak and dagger shit. That uh, This was the first time that I think Invisible Ink was even used. That uh, it had to be... Uh, uh, wiped over in order for the uh, invisible ink to reappear, and they did it on the back pages of other letters and stuff. So secret messages are being passed. And again, I think it's important that people realize that now we've got this spiring that's not just going in and getting out. It's they're embedded. They're living amongst the British mm -hmm. and reporting, as you said, Kev, troop movements and that kind of stuff. And very valuable intel is coming out of. Uh, out of this New York City uh, and surrounding area spy ring, and it, it's being fed directly back to um, GW, George Washington. So, um, yeah, that's some pretty that's some pretty neat stuff. And they weren't dependent upon one guy finding it out and then reporting reporting back himself. Messages were being passed from one to another to another. So there was a chain of uh, um, intel being passed that. If you caught one, you weren't going to – the whole chain was not going to collapse. See if I can't come up with a, an analogy for this because uh -huh. of the network, how it takes a team to get – so let's say I had an idea for a show and then I make you do the research for it and then we present it into microphones provided by Mike and Ming and then the kahuna edits it and puts it out there for the world. That's wow. our spy network, baby. I don't know. That, will that work? That's <laughs> <laughs> There's well, a lot of things that could go wrong there, though, too. <laughs> it's a, well, we've been lucky. We've been very lucky. So, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, thank God I don't have to record my own audio and then send it out to someone else's show, right? Um, <laughs> a little inside baseball there for you. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> but uh, Obviously, these guys are very good at codes. Uh, they're using the invisible ink. The reason for the invisible ink, too, by the way, is because now you can have a courier who is officially marked carrying secret dispatches that the British can't figure out. 
So if you find out that they're carrying, you know, if they're not a well-marked um, courier, the punishment is death. Right. So now you can have your guys like, oh, no, I'm just delivering. The, here's the injury report, if you will. And in the secret stain, the sympathetic stain, if you will, they can also say, by the way, British are moving around here. A new warship just came into the harbor. But if you hide it and the invisible ink is only visible by either uh, applying uh, – it was like lemon juice and milk that they were using. And if you ran it up against a, a candle, you could then see what was in there. And then sometimes that would even be in a code too so that if they were smart enough to figure out the stain and how to read it, you couldn't understand what the message meant. So, yeah, and, and it wasn't just this invisible ink thing too that they also came up with a, a secret code, a numerical code that different numbers meant different things. And as it turns out, that numerical code – was keyed into a, um, a, di a dictionary, if you will. So if you're writing, you know, 786, it would be the 786th word within that dictionary was what they were trying to tell you, that uh, you could put down numbers instead of actual... Um, sophisticated. Uh, yeah, it was very sophisticated. And a lot of times they were writing these uh, secret coded messages on the back of correspondence that were going to other loyalists. So it would be able to get out of uh, past British checkpoints, if you will, because, oh, that's a letter to so-and-so. And, well, they're, they're on our side, so we'll just let that slide. Meanwhile, uh, you know, that would be intercepted and um, passed on to... <laughs> where it was really going to. So, again, it was a, a whole series of different steps that were taken to um, make sure that the message was going to the proper recipient, which ultimately was George Washington. So That's how crazy it is. So now you did a good job mentioning the numeric values of the codes here, and the Copa Ring Code reveals that uh, the number 355, as in Agent 355, meant lady. So... Pretty interesting on that one. So now you have a lady spy, deep undercover, relaying messages to the spy network via couriers deep in British-held territory. That's pretty badass. That's not something for... Uh I get nervous driving around New York City. I don't know if I could be running a spy ring within. Right. That's with that's with your GPS talking to you at all. Exactly. Time. And the radio <laughs> office, I white knuckle it through the entire uh, FDR highway. But there are many theories to this day as to who Agent 355 was. And literally, again, to this day, her identity is still not completely known. Uh, that's a pretty good sign of a spy, by the way. Yeah, that's that's being deep uh, in in deep uh, shadow there. That mm -hmm. uh, you still don't know. A couple of hundred years later, that uh, we're not really sure who who this was. And again, the code three three five was just lady three five five. No, no? Uh, yeah, three three okay. five. Not not what I said. Listen to what I'm thinking, not what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, 335, and again, the code for 335, the numerical code, would be lady. Now, there's some speculation that maybe it was more than one lady that was providing some of this intel, but, you know, to the coded messages, it just came down to 3355. Three, yes, so just to, to, for the listeners at home, it's Agent 355. So just want to get that right on here. Um it's important, the numbers thing. We both have numbers dyslexia, by the way. Absolutely. That's <laughs> Again, listen to what I'm thinking, not what I'm saying. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it, it's amusing to me because here's one theory, and there's a couple theories. We're going to get into all of them today. But uh, the first theory is that her real name might have been Anna Strong, a strong woman named Strong. All right, South Park really can't do anything on American history. But <laughs> bump. Yep. But uh, the only official mention of Agent 355 is in a correspondence from Woodhull, a.k.a. Sam Culper Sr., directly to General George Washington himself. And they refer to her saying that her intel checks out constantly and that she has been, quote, ever serviceable. So this is reliable shit right here. You're not getting this isn't like a, you know, a Twitter report the day of from some jamoke saying, I think the Giants are going to cover the spread this week. This is actually <laughs> yeah, right. this this chick knows her shit. So. Agent 355, again, possibly Anna Strong, had a super difficult and extremely important task, though. Her job was to relay info to the couriers, who, again, like we said, if a courier gets caught with this info, uh, they get hung, a la Nathan Hale. Yeah, we already found out that, uh, you know, there was the times did not call for a trial or anything else. If you were uh, if you were considered a spy, your uh, your execution was sh soon to follow. Mm hmm. And uh, for those who uh, you know, just enjoy American history via movies, we'll know that uh, in the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, 
uh, his son, played by Heath Ledger, gets uh, uh, arrested by the British, and they say that they're going to hang him as a spy. But he was a legally matched, uh, legally um, marked uh, dispatcher with, with dispatch courier or whatever you want to couriers. Right. I'm screwing up all. He was in uniform. Yeah. So that was the idea that you can still be you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to exchange information. It could be something as simple as just a a, a note or an email at that point, you know. Right. But uh, there is the spy network game here. So it's pretty interesting. Um, and her job, like we said, is to attempt to get information from Long Island Sound to Talmadge himself, who's located over in Connecticut. And I thought driving to Connecticut from New York on a Friday was bad enough. Now imagine trying to smuggle info across enemy lines. This is this is about as ballsy as it gets, I think. Um, she's got some funny signals here. So Agent 355 is said to, and here's a nice part too, is that men are suspect, right, at all times. It's always going to be, uh, you know, oh, can I, you hear of a spy, we always assume it's going to be some guy sitting in the corner smoking a cigarette or something. It's always a villainous guy uh, with his, uh, right. the, 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 you know, his jacket popped up, his collar out. Extended. If he looks like Snidely Whiplash, he's a, he's a, he's a suspect. Yes. Well, that's why women make very effective spies, because uh, first of all, they find shit out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. But she used to operate in the following manner to signal the couriers. We have ways to make you talk. <laughs> well, she would signal them with her laundry. Yeah. Not um, making this up. Yeah, that was uh, that was the signals. And Just a woman doing laundry over here. Let's ignore her. No way she's involved in anything nefarious. Um, yeah, absolutely. But again, this whole chain that they had devised that if the information was found out by um, um, somebody in a tavern in New York City, then that was relayed to somebody. There was a number of people within the Culper ring that were um, instrumental in this whole thing. There was a guy by the name of Hercules Mulligan. I thought that was a great name. He's cool, but I, I want to hit him for another episode, too, down the road. <laughs> Hercules Mulligan, who owns a tailor shop. Now, he's gathering information by some of the British uh, military coming in and out of his shop. There's another guy that's um, uh, Robert Townsend is... Um, um, Sam as, Culper Jr. Sam Samuel Culper Jr. Who who also owns a, a tavern and a like a dry goods kind of a store that um, he's he's gathering information just by being the everyday shopkeeper or the tavern keeper with you know guys um, talking about this and that uh, over a couple of couple of pints um, uh, might be able to uh, figure some shit out. Um, but a lot of the information was passed from one to the other to the other. And then eventually it was going to make its way out to Long Island. Um, so it's it's outside of sim city limits now and it's out on Long Island. But that information still needs to be relayed to um, um, to Connecticut. And then from Connecticut, it was then sent to George Washington, who happens to be in New Jersey, because that's where he's hanging out. So it was a kind of a roundabout way. And there were instances where the information came to Washington too late because of this whole roundabout way. But um, the vast majority of times, this was very valuable information and it was passed. But now, and in order to get it from Long Island, the information from Long Island to Connecticut, it had to be ferried across Long Island Sound. And that's where another guy comes into into um um, the picture and a guy by the name of Caleb Brewster. Um, am I jumping ahead of you here, Kev? Or no, you're I? good. Um, so the Caleb's an interesting guy because he's a whaleboat captain, right? So uh, Connecticut Yankee whalers, that's a thing, right? Not uncommon to see them in Long Island. Billy Joel's done a few songs about those boys. Right. But uh, it's worth mentioning here, too, that he's now able to – he was also raiding British ships, too, they said. Yeah, there was a whole whaleboat war, if you will, that a lot of the you – know, we're not talking whaleboats like uh, Captain Ahab and uh, Moby Dick kind of whaleboats. Whale! <laughs> right, the birds, the birds, the gulls! No, this was uh, – there were you know relatively large uh, rowboats, if you will, but uh, – um, Brewster was known. I mean, the, he he grew up again in this whole uh, Long Island area, so he was he'd be easily recognized. And early on, he was he was a badass fighting fighting for the cause, um, so he would be easily recognized. So he would have to put into Long Island with his whaleboat 
and I think up to like six different possibilities, six, six different locations, because they didn't want to constantly go to the same well, spot. He was, over he was a well-known man again. on the island. He right. was safe out on his boat, but he would be in trouble if he was coming into the island. So right. I want to set something up here real quick. So here, coming back to old agent 355 and her signals out to the whaleboat captain now, who's going to be relaying the information, as you said. What she would do, this is goddamn genius. Okay, this would probably work today. All right. I mean, it'd be suspect to see somebody doing their laundry outside, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, hanging hanging laundry on the line is, uh, I think, goes back to my mother's generation. I don't think I've seen that lately. <laughs> Good old Graham. Well, uh, the black petticoat. If she would hang that up, a black petticoat meant that a message was ready to be picked up. She would then hang handkerchiefs to indicate a numbered code of to which of those six coves that uh, they could come in that the whaleboat cab would be able to come in and pick up the information. So good old Caleb's out there floating out in the sound and within plain view of British soldiers, by the way. British soldiers just walking by like, this bitch does a lot of laundry. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, it must be a bedwetter of some sort or something. But uh, she's out there but just putting up her laundry, minding her own business, also signaling to the whaleboat captain will come on in. So it's a black petticoat and five handkerchiefs. That means cove number five, message is ready to be picked up. So that meant that that night he was going to come in there and pick up the messages, usually from Woodhull himself. So they are all working in conjunction here. But Agent 355, she's able to operate completely under the radar because nobody's going to suspect a woman doing her laundry of also signaling the enemy. But uh, Woodhull himself is going to go and then uh, you know give it to uh, the captain in order for him to secure the intelligence. Now, a big reason that they think Anna Strong may have been Agent 355, and we'll get into it, it's highly disputed, uh, is that she was also Woodhull's neighbor. So that was how they thought maybe Woodhull recruited her into the cause kind of a thing. But uh, Agent 355, by the way, would also play a major role in taking down a fellow by the name of John Andre. Uh, John Andre, as uh, people who know who listen to our uh, Benedict Arnold episode, he was the handler for Benedict Arnold. So that he was he was the head of British intelligence. Yes. And so specifically, spy versus spy here, uh, <laughs> Mad Magazine. We're we're we're, de- we're deep in. We're thick in it. There's a, a a Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibe almost to it. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, but uh, he's going to be quote the handler for Benedict Arnold's treachery. Arnold, as most people know, married to a very attractive uh, young socialite out of a very wealthy and uh, openly loyalist family in Philadelphia. Her name was Peggy Shippen, and uh, we talked about. It. Benedict Arnold's already pissed off um, and annoyed, if you will, with some of the stuff going on. He's kind of a bitter guy uh, in the revolution around this time frame. But uh, he's he's open to the idea of maybe he's not getting the credit he deserves in the continental efforts. He should be uh, more of a, a well-celebrated hero. After all, he's the hero of Saratoga. But uh, John Andre happens to be a former love interest of Peggy Shippen's. Yeah, and, when, the, when the British were in Philadelphia. I mean, uh, again, there's a lot of back and forth here that um – the Culper Ring was primarily in New York, but the British also took over Philadelphia for a period of time, and um, Peggy Shippen was a definite spark and love interest with uh, with uh, Major John Andre, who was a good-looking guy, very well educated, spoke a number of different languages. I mean, he was he was a good uh, he was more the James Bond uh, uh, <laughs> kind of image than. Uh, than some of these other folks were. But, and uh, Peggy Shippen would be his octopussy. So. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's uh, without giving all that stuff away, because I, I was very proud of the research we did for the Benedict Arnold episode, so I don't want to give a uh, condensed Cliff Notes version of it, but it's important to tell this for that part of the story today. You've got to listen to that stuff. Exactly. Go back to year one, folks. Uh, see us back before we figured out broadcasting voices. But uh, Andre, like we said, former love interest of Peggy Shippen and her marriage to Benedict Benedict himself may have been entirely a sham in order for Andre to utilize her beauty and her influence over Benedict Arnold to get him to turn to the dark side. So Agent 355 is also thought to have been one of the agents who delivered or intercepted letters revealing that old Benny Arnold was going to just let the British have West Point, which would have crippled the entire American war effort. Right. I mean, once the British left uh, Philadelphia and they they maintain New York as their main um, port, if you will, throughout the entire revolution. I mean, we still had British in New York City, even after Yorktown, it, for another two years after Yorktown, the, the final major battle of the revolution. The British never left New York City for two years after that. So um, New York was was key. Um 
And I thought it was interesting, too, that a lot of the valuable information um, coming out of New York City due to the Culper Ring um, for a brief moment in time, for a brief time period, um, the information wasn't as strong as it might have been. But that was also when Andre was sent by the British out of New York to go down to Charlestown. So Mm. while he was out of town... um, you know the intel wasn't as as uh, abundant as it had been uh, while he was in town. So, was there a direct connection somehow or other with um, Andre or within his household or who the heck knows? So again, again, a little sleeping that, with the enemy, perhaps you know, sleeping with the enemy, or you know there was some speculation that um, Agent Three Five Five. Um, might have been somebody working within the household. It could have been a maid or a servant or something along those lines. Now, imagine uh, uh, the maid, you know, dusting. Uh, I'm just cleaning up in your office here, and there, you left some papers on the on the desk that uh, oh, yeah. I happen to read. And especially if uh, I'm a woman, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine. I'm not intelligent enough to uh, figure out all these men things. Oh, of, like, me? I barely know how deploy- to read, sir. <laughs> Uh, troop deployments and everything else. Yeah, and then it was uh, another, uh, you know, there was another significant spy who happened to be um, black that was just, you know, again. Armistead you talking about? The, no, the whole idea that, um, you know, the woman was not going to be uh, a spy because uh, women were just, it just wasn't even considered that, that the same type of a thing um, with servants. That's that, how benevolent men are. We're like, there's no way they're up to anything bad. They're just angels. They really are. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so it's important now that we also uh, just explain this one little part here. Uh, she may have intercepted those letters where they were just going to hand over, uh, obviously, West Point, which would have completely crippled everything over here. Now, we're able to stop that. John Andre gets arrested and gets hung. And I believe his last words are, uh, will be nothing but a momentary pang, like of pain kind of a thing, before he gets hung, right? So he winds up getting killed, which uh, he gets killed. Um, where's the property? That's in New York, right? Tapel, New York. Yeah, you can still go over there. It's uh, There's a historical marker, and I think the inn is over there, too. I really right. want to get up there. but Yeah, the... the um the tavern, if you will, where they held him prisoner before they stretched his neck is uh, still standing. And you can see the 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 jail cell, if you will, where he was uh, imprisoned. Pretty cool, man. Oh, Ming's already on it. Goddamn, he's good. The 76th house in uh, Tapan. Oh, it says it's haunted, too. Maybe we should go there for Halloween. Right. Huh? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, John Andre dies. Close right? by is the uh, the site where they uh, actually hung him. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool that it's still there. Well, it's uh, the best part about the American Revolution history is it's literally right here in our own backyard. So the same way that down south they celebrate the Civil War a little bit more because that's right and you could drive past these battlefields and stuff. Yeah, and I think it was uh, due to the Culper Ring that uh, you know they got wind that there was a high-ranking American uh, officer that was going to uh, turncoat. Um, and it was the Culper Ring that really led to the arrest of Andre, who was— the British side of that whole um, turn of uh, Benedict Arnold. So well, here's the problem with a big victory like that, though, that the Culper Ring is able to expose John Andre, and now you're killing the head of British intelligence. Now, Benedict Arnold escapes, right? So now the big turncoat move here, that blew up right in the British faces. Here's what's nerve-wracking about that. The Culper Ring is now, they had suspicions over who might have been involved with the Culper Ring, and they knew that there were some spies going on because... Washington was a little bit too good at uh, being ahead of uh, one step ahead of the the game, if you will. But the same way that when a football team all of a sudden pulls off this amazing victory, the whole league starts to notice. All right. So they uh, pay attention here to Culper Ring. They either wind up going underground or some of them wind up fleeing New York City because the British are not fucking around anymore. They're knocking down some doors. They're, uh, you know, trying to collect some more intel on their own. They're acting on stuff that they were hesitant to do before. And this is actually, uh, after a few weeks, a bunch of them sit there and they say, all right, it looks like my cover's still intact. And they wind up uh, you know, maybe heading back in, maybe getting a little bit too comfortable, hoping that it's all blown over. This is what is thought to have led to the arrest of Agent 355. So again, we don't know if it's officially this Anna Strong character or if it's a, a number of different women. That's another theory. 
Uh, we don't know if it's a housekeeper within the John Andre household. There's a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. So it's important uh, that I hit this note here too. So another member of the Culpa Ring is the aforementioned Robert Townsend. You mentioned him earlier, Dad. Right. His method of extracting intel equally as brilliant doesn't involve laundry, but still pretty good. So uh, he is thought to have been in love with uh, and possibly fathered a child with Agent 355. But his move in New York City when he was uh, you know, getting all of his intel out was that he would hang out in the taverns and everything and pretty much just chilling, being a bar fly, if you will, and saying, oh, by the way, guys, I, I'm, I'm a loyalist just like all of you, and I'm a newspaper man. Uh, anything you want me to quote you for in the paper? And these braggadocious British officers couldn't wait to give away government secrets. Right. You know? Get so your was, name in the paper. Exactly. It's the equivalent I'm of me important. saying, uh, yeah, I'm going to go hang out, and uh, I'm going to go down to the nip and tuck after this, Ming, and I'm going to go say, I have a blog. <laughs> Anybody want to tell me anything interesting so I can yeah. put your name in the paper? But... Uh, it's pretty outstanding here. So it's working well for him. He's pulling that info. Then that can get relayed over to Agent 355, who can then relay it to the whaleboat captain that gets the information. You know, Woodhull then drops off info for him and eventually gets back to Washington or Talmadge. So pretty fantastic chain of events going over here. But all of that being said, the uh, this is where it gets um, a little bit wild. It appears uh, that, again, Townsend may have been in love with Agent 355. His own writings, combined with notes from Woodhull, uh, expressing concern for Townsend's reaction about the news of Agent 355's capture, uh, he's, I guess, showed up out of his mind drunk or something, said, I'm getting out of the spy game. I can't believe this shit. You know, it's uh, she might not be important to the cause, but she's uh, super important to me, blah, blah, blah. And then he actually I thought this was nuts. He apparently starts gathering large sums of money, like pretty much stealing from any business that he had. Like he's using his influence as a spy. Oh, and if you don't give me this money, I'll reveal that you were giving out uh, uh, you know, secrets to the American cause. I'll rat you out. to. The- so he's pretty much extorting some of his own sources at this point. And he, they think, they surmise that this large amount of money, which was, uh, I think they referred to it as a veritable fortune for the time, was uh, actually enough for him to potentially ransom uh, Agent 355's release from the British. So this guy was all of a sudden, it's a, a whole new deck of cards is up here. A whole new uh, hierarchy of needs is being reached. But these uh, are all possible indicators of the legitimacy of him having a relationship with Agent 355. So this brings us to a, a dark part of the story as we're uh, beginning to wrap up. Agent 355 is thought to have been thrown on board the infamous prison ship like we said, this one landed in our lap, Dad. The HMS Jersey. Yeah. There's your Jersey yeah. connection for that the That was a notorious folks. British um, prison ship that, uh, you know, that was like the worst, the worst possible thing to be, other than being killed upon capture, is to be captured, uh, an American soldier being captured and then sent to uh, the Jersey on the prison ship. Yeah. Uh, as Tristan Vidrero, uh, who helped do our research, uh, in, he's somewhere on a hayride right now, but um, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he told us. pumpkin. He gave us some good intel because he's born in Brooklyn, actually. So where this ship was uh, anchored, if you will, was technically the modern Brooklyn Navy Yard. And the ship was known by the, uh, the Continentals. And by the way, it wasn't just Continentals. It was also anybody sympathetic to the American cause. Right. That if you were a troublesome person in right. New York. Political prisoners will call yeah, it. You were going on board the uh, HMS <laughs> Jersey, which was nicknamed Hell. The sailors right. called it Hell. So the uh, Jersey, which, by the way, it's, it's not really a New Jersey reference. It's an old Jersey reference. Yeah, that'd be Jersey Britain. That's a, <laughs> the old Jersey Islands. So... Um, but it's interesting. By the way, brief side note, I know this is an ADD moment for me, but the movie The Others with Nicole Kidman takes place on the Jersey Islands. So when it said Jersey uh, at the start of the movie, I'm thinking like, is they in Seaside Heights or something? What's going on over here? <laughs> Oops. But yeah. So anyway, uh, the Jersey is an old warship. Now, back in the day, for those who are Patreon members already, you guys know about the USS Bonham Richard, which was, I think, a 48 gun uh, badass French-made battleship that uh, John Paul Jones was the captain of and made a, a very glorious uh, U.S. Navy victory with. This ship Patreons had, know about that, Kevin. <laughs> just five bucks a month. It costs of one large cup of coffee. We don't get on it. So, um, but anyway, uh, it, it's pretty cool to me that uh, that was considered a, a large ship with 48 cans on it. The Jersey, when it was originally being used, was a 60-something cannon boat. Right, so this is a pretty badass ship, but it's an older ship. Yeah, it's very old. At this point, it's like 
uh, just a hulk. It was lucky that it made it across the Atlantic to uh, get to New York in the first place. Right. I think it was officially listed as a fourth class uh, um, British Navy vessel, which meant that uh, <laughs> it's kind of floating. <laughs> yeah. Well, they get it over to uh, New York Harbor, and it, it's uh, out there alongside uh, Brooklyn in the water. And uh, I thought I hated Brooklyn. Anybody who got put on this boat definitely had a reason to not like Brooklyn. But uh, so it was a battleship, got converted to a hospital ship, and then almost like a uh, a mental hospital turned into a bit of a prison kind of a thing. Uh, now it becomes this prison ship. So uh, a very notorious one, too. In the space built to originally house about a 400-person crew. The prison ship would now hold over 1,100 American prisoners at any given time, sitting right there at the side of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So I get nervous, uh, you know, if the bus is too full for coming out of Port Authority. Now imagine being shoulder to shoulder 24 hours a day. And this is how bad it was. Um, I believe they said as many as eight men a day were dying on board. And just because the person died didn't mean their body got taken out just right away. Maybe they would let it sit there for a little while or sometimes they would let the, the body sit out in the sun up on the deck and just get a real nice good stink going in there. So there's no daylight coming in below decks over here. You're dealing with the rats. The British guards are mistreating you to begin with. I mean, this was... If you're being fed and if there's yeah. smallpox. And just to add a little uh, a little something to this too, um, our, our guy who founded the whole... Um, Culper Ring or uh, Talmadge. Yes. Um, he had a brother that was uh, uh, captured um, at the battle of, in New York early on in the war. And, you know, Talmadge would say that, well, yeah, he was starved to death by the British as a prisoner. There so. is some cruelty at play in this. Part now, there's other parts of the war where you see a guy like Cornwallis or something who's actually pretty cool. You know what I mean? Kind of a gentleman general, if you mm -hmm. will. But there's nothing redeeming about what's going on in the HMS Jersey. It's uh, about as dire straits as it gets. So, um, But again, this, I thought, is also worth mentioning, though. Agent 355 is uh, thought to have been thrown on board that ship. Now, another reason to tie in Anna Strong as the potential Agent 355 is that they say that she was seen there a couple of times. But it's weird because her husband was imprisoned on the ship at one point. Yeah, that's a, it was a weird, uh, a weird thing that, um, you know, they're thinking that Anna Strong is Agent 355, and there's some speculation that she was imprisoned aboard the, uh, the Jersey. Uh, others say uh, not so much because they didn't really throw women on, on board those prison ships. Yeah, we'll ships. starve men to death, but women, come on, we're not animals <laughs> yeah, really, here, folks. Really. I mean, after all, they're the, the fairer sex. Um, Are there rats eating human flesh? Yes. No women on board, though. Very proud of that aspect. But Anna Strong. Because it's bad luck to have a woman on a ship. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad luck. A little throwback to the Mary Celeste there for you guys. <laughs> there you go. Another loose reception. Uh, at least we didn't rename the jersey, but the, oof, oof. that was anyhow. Um, Anna uh, Strong, her husband was Zella, S E L A H, Zella Strong, and he was a patriot who was arrested for, um, you know, arrested and put into the jersey. Um, but Anna Strong, her his wife, her maiden name was Smith, and she had strong. Uh, loyalist um, contacts and and uh, family members, kind of a thing. So, um, you know, she had some influential relatives, if you will, that were pro-British, and there the was Tories. there was some speculation that this whole idea that Anna Strong was imprisoned aboard the Jersey was because she was allowed to go to the Jersey to see her husband, to bring, you know, food or whatever, um, visitations um, to see her husband. Eventually, they they were able to get um, her husband out of there. And then there's, again, speculation that it was because of her, of his wife's, Anna's um, relatives, that they were able to work some political influence to get him out of there. And he, he takes some of their kids and goes off to Connecticut. So he gets his freedom off the Jersey, but he's not going back to Long Island to, to the home to the homestead um, because things are, again, still a little precarious there. So he, he skedaddles off to Connecticut with some of the kids. Meanwhile, 
Anna Strong, the wife, stays in Long Island with the other half of the kids because uh, British law at that particular point is that if you left the property um, abandoned, um, they would take it up. They would take it from you. So, yeah, in order not to big on uh, Airbnb back then, were <laughs> yeah, they? Right. So, in order to uh, maintain the homestead, Anna, strong woman that she is, stayed there with the kid, with some of the kids. Meanwhile, the husband is off in Connecticut with the other half of the mm-hmm. kids. So, uh, it was uh, really kind of a screwy thing. And again, we still don't know who, in the actuality, who three five five was, but. Very strong uh, suspicions that it's Anna Smith strong. Well, there's uh, there's a couple other stories here as we're finishing up, but uh, the HMS Jersey. Back to that just for a second here. A factoid provided to us by again Tristan Hayride Vidrero. Um, <laughs> the HMS Jersey was more deadly to its prisoners than the Revolution was to the American Army. It caused nearly twice the casualties. Um, so think about that for a second. You have a better shot of fighting in the war effort, dying of a casualty on the battlefield. That doesn't include, uh, you know, uh, sicknesses and you know other sort of diseases and stuff like that. But actual battlefield casualties, you had a better shot at being safe by facing cannon and musket fire than being jammed into this evil goddamn ship over Prison in Brooklyn. Ship. Right. So, right. And that was also, I think, instrumental in turning a lot of uh, people's minds towards um, being pro-patriot, being pro-American and opposed to the British because the way they treated their prisoners absolutely and the way they treated the, the 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 regular the regular people the everyday people even in the Battle of New York um, they're sending over these uh, Hessian mercenaries and there was no surrender to the to the Hessians that uh, you know if you surrendered you were just going to be executed right there and bayoneted or whatever that they were taking no prisoners so just like Colonel <clears throat> Tabington's Green Dragoons yeah, from the they, Patriot there you go there you go well unfortunately Agent Three Five Five when she was arrested the rumor is that she was pregnant so that might have been Townsend going even more batshit where it's my my the the woman I love. And the child I'm having with her are now taken away and put on some sort of a prison ship. Right. And again, this is all murky territory here. We did some good research on this. Tristan did some great research on this. And we still don't know because I spoke to him this morning and we still couldn't exactly confirm some stuff. But uh, the thought is that she supposedly gave birth on board the prison ship and then died while on board the HMS Jersey. Townsend, by the way, is said to he did return to spying. Right. And maybe he gave the money back to the businesses he extorted from. Who the hell knows? But uh, he is said to have lived out the rest of his days unmarried, depressed and drinking heavily. So if uh, when he, he lost uh, the woman he loves and then uh, no clue what happened to his child, I mean, that can that can beat a man up a little bit. All right. Sure. So uh, the culprit papers uh, after the death of Agent 355 begin to appear less frequently, uh, indicating that she could be dead indeed, because, uh, you know, this is a whole key essential part of the whole spy ring is gone now. So another theory, by the way, is that 355 was a reference to not necessarily Anna Strong, but any woman who had interesting uh, and valuable information. So that could have just been like uh, the ladies auxiliary to the spy ring, if you will. But I do love uh, the idea of, uh, you know, communicating via laundry to give this information out. So was Anna Strong Agent 355? If Agent 355 really died on board the Jersey, then no, because Anna Strong lived until 1812. So that would not be – something's not right there if that's the case. Right. But uh, was she actually a high society gal turned into a revolutionary spy? Was she the wife of one of the other members of the Culper Ring? Was she indeed you know, Townsend's uh, love of his life kind of a thing? Was she someone working within the John Andre household, as you said that? Here's how great this story is. We don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. We got no clue, man. <laughs> no clue. Because, or was it D, all of the above? Yeah, you know, because she, why? Because she was that damn good. <laughs> Bugs Bunny first base, Bugs Bunny second base. <laughs> you know, it, she could have been all of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, the, we owe a, a huge amount of credit to 355, whoever she might have been. You got anything you want to say, tell the people on our way out? Uh, no, it's just that there was uh, also some speculation that um, – um, ancestors, kids and grandkids of uh, Anna Strong were also very influential in creating a, a plaque to um, those who had died on the uh, on the Jersey. So, well, um, you know, that's, is there more credence to that then? Because, you know, 
mama or grandma was was the unknown spy. And then at the conclusion of the Revolutionary War, George Washington actually paid a visit, um, toured, if you will, uh, the colonies and made a, uh, a visitation, a two-day visitation, I think it was, to Long Island and stopped in um, to a lot of the relatives of, of Anna Strong. And there were um, monies given out to um, to Talmadge to pay um, some of the expenses of the Culper Ring, and they were never really... Um, even with that, who the money was going to was never really revealed who 355 was. But there was money that was given to uh, her husband. Um, and you know, why would they be reimbursing her husband, who spent the vast amount of time uh-huh. on a prison ship? So, you know, was he influential with, with this whole culpa ring or was it the wife that was doing the work while he was in prison? Um, and that's what they were uh, handling the reimbursements too. So, again, the whole women, the woman thing is uh, in in murky in murky territory too. Because would you pay the woman or would you pay the woman's husband? At the time, you would pay the woman's husband. Weird how that shit yeah, works. Yeah, so who the heck knows? Well, uh, to send it home on a pop culture note here for you guys too. The Prison Ship Martyrs Monument is still over in Brooklyn. It is uh, it's a pretty cool looking uh, uh, feat of architecture to begin with. Very cool design, kind of iconic too. And it's weird because I first found out about this story from there was a show uh, starring Jason Jason Schwartzman called Bored to Death, okay, which is uh, uh, based off the writings of uh, a guy, an author from New Jersey. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now, but. Uh, there's a scene when he's like doing a private eye kind of a thing and he meets at the prison ship martyrs monument over in Brooklyn and that caught my attention then I saw it again in another thing and it's been filmed quite a bit over there in Brooklyn but uh, I thought this was uh, worth noting one of the funniest times to use that because this is a monument to I mean borderline you know I mean human rights violation borderline genocide almost you know what I mean it's brutal absolute uh, horrible humanitarian conditions over there but because it's part of the culture and everything like that, it was seen in the back of Positive K's I Got a Man music video. So it's him spitting it to some chick out there trying to hit on her in front of the Prison Martyrs Monument. It's, it, obviously, time heals all wounds, but in maybe two or three hundred years, we're going to see some guy putting out a rap video, rap video where it's him trying to hit on a girl at the Vietnam Wall. It's kind of a creepy thing to think <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, really. But... I thought that was cool. Check that monument out if you want to, guys. Feel free to dig into Agent 355 if you feel like shooting me a message uh, over on Facebook or something or uh, DM us on the American Loser podcast page. If you have a theory about who Agent 355 is, uh, my theory, Teddy Roosevelt. But um, that's just <laughs> right, right, right. He was the guy behind the scenes. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, also, uh, if you want to get into this one a little bit, uh, a lot of Tristan's research uh, was done via television on uh, George Washington's uh, uh, spiring. Uh, the show is called Turn on AMC Network. So I think it's on Netflix now, too. But feel free to check that out, guys. Uh, also, feel free, if you haven't already, make the jump over to the Patreon, man. We're having a good time over there. we got some cool stuff coming up. got a Halloween-themed episode we're going to be coming out with towards the end of this month. And as always, thank you so much to Mike and Ming at A Shared Universe. You guys take great care of us. To the Kahuna, whatever project you're working on today, I hope it was good, all right? I hope it was worth it. We would have had a good time with you on that one. Uh, LP, thank you for your research here. Shout out to our buddy Tristan Vedrero for doing a great job uh, on the research here. We'll get him back in studio shortly. And again, American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. Feel free to hit me up. I'm at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram. We post some funny jokes over there. I'm excited right now. Ming, this episode's going to come out on Tuesday. I just found out this Wednesday uh, I was already on the show, so it's not like I got added to the show. A headliner got added to the show at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. I'll be opening up for Uncle Joey, a.k.a. Joey Coco Diaz himself, is going to be working out his new hour over on Wednesday. I can't wait. I've been a fan of that guy for years. I've never got to meet him because he's a West Coast guy. But guess what? He's back in Jersey, baby. He's an East Coast guy now. Indeed. So uh, if one good thing came out of this pandemic, it'll be on Wednesday. (laughs) So feel free to grab your tickets on that. It's limited seating over there. But also, I got some other dates coming up. Uh, Me and Mike Cannon are going to be over. uh, He's bringing me with him. I'm very grateful for that. October 9th at Soul Joel's in Royersford, Pennsylvania. That's going to be outstanding. And feel free to check out my calendar. It's actually starting to come back, guys. Wow. You got dates. Yeah, it's a pretty good feeling. So, uh, also, apologies to anybody who wants me to come on their podcast at Friday at 8 p.m. I'm sorry, guys. That would have worked a month ago, but I'm trying to get back to work, all right? 
And my side hustle, huge, huge announcement coming out for them. Uh, I'm doing uh, beer sales in uh, Staten Island and we're about to be legal in New Jersey for uh, the good man, John Ross Cacosa's Ross Brewing. He's already uh, you know, pretty much solidified his territory over there. He's got a lot of shit coming up. So you want to check them out. It's Ross Brewing over on Instagram. Uh, he's about to hit the market with uh, three new beers on top of the three beers he already has. They're outstanding. We got to sample them here at the studio. That's how I met John, actually. And uh, those beers, the new ones are going to be legal to sell with uh, the original three, all available in New York and New Jersey the week of October 12th. So jump on that if you can, guys. Check them out. Look for it at a liquor store. Uh, it's probably me that sold it. So, <laughs> <laughs> But that being said, man, Ming, thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to get out of here on that one. LP, great job as always. And guys, that was Agent 355, American Loser. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. <laughs>